everyone and welcome back to I'm Mostly Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode three. I'm so happy that you guys are back and listening some more. Um, today we're going to get a little bit political, a little bit sensitive, um, but in light of recent events, a very exciting event, I have to add uh, Kamala Harris finally being announced as uh, Biden's running mate for the 2020 election, which is super, super exciting. Um, Obviously, social media and the news has just been, there's been this instant outpouring of honestly just, you know, hate and criticism. And um, we're talking about Kamala Harris's past and her record as a prosecutor. um, And then also a lot of I just false accusations um, about her as a person and different rumors have been circulating. Some conspiracy theories have been going around. Um, So I took some time over the past week and I did some research and I picked a couple of uh, the claims that I've seen circulating the most going around. And I'm just going to present facts Um, about these claims as I found them. Doing my research, I definitely tried to stick to less opinion-based pieces. Um, I found as many, you know, open, accessible public records as I could, Um, information that Kamala Harris herself has said. Um, I also read some criticisms of her to make sure that I wasn't only getting biased information. Um, I'm not a professional researcher, so I'm just gonna put that claim out there. You know, this is what I had access to and what I was able to find, but there are some pretty ridiculous claims and just conversations circulating about her right now that I would like to address and talk about because I think that some of them may be overshadowing the joy that we should be feeling right now. Number one, that we have a woman as a vice presidential candidate. but also a woman who's not white. Like this is something major to celebrate. So we're gonna dive right in. I have some notes. So if you hear, you know, paper paper wrestling, don't just try to ignore that if you can. Um, But yeah, we're gonna go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, This is, like I said, gonna be uh, me presenting facts as I found them and then just kind of dissecting and talking about them and offering my own opinion so that we can start to open a conversation about, um, you know, what this means to us. Um, so the first one that I want to talk about is in regards to Harris's heritage. Um, basically her father came out and he, I believe he wrote an essay Um, basically saying that he was the descendant of someone named Hamilton Brown, who was a slave owner in Jamaica in the 1800s, the late 1700s, early 1800s. And Harris's father, you know, he said that he traced his genealogy and um, from his, I want to say it was his mother's side, he had, you know, ancestors related to Hamilton Brown. Um, so immediately some, I would say mostly conservative critics of Harris and her father came out and said, 
you know, there's no proof that you're related to this person. Um, basically just trying to uh, discredit Harris's father uh, for whatever reason, saying that, you know, he didn't have proof that he was related to this person um, and he couldn't make that claim. On the other side, there were conservative critics who came out and without doing their own research or without knowledge of any kind of lineage um, tracings back, they definitively said she is the descendant of a slave owner. And so she overall benefited from the action of slavery. Um, her family, you know, in Jamaica, they were, I, I would say, educated middle class. Um, so they said that she was a beneficiary of slavery. And so her attempting to connect to her minority audiences in the United States, you know, was false because she isn't able to empathize with them because her ancestor was a slave owner. Um, let's just kind of talk about this for a second, because I think for any of us who attended middle to high school, um, and studied, albeit the very whiteified version of slave history, especially in the United States, but all around the world, um, there, what is the percentage? I saw a stat. I want to say it might be more than this. I saw, I read somewhere that said, um, over 30% of people living in the U.S. now with lineages that date back to like the 17, 1800s in the United States are related to both slave owners and slaves because of the type of relationships that slave owners often had with um, their slaves. There was a lot of, you know, sexual violence. And so lineages and lines often got crossed. And so if you go back, if your family has been here since that time period, there's a very likely chance that you are related to, you know, both ends of the spectrum. So while I think the research has officially said for Kamala Harris, there's a couple gaps in her lineage history, which means they aren't able to definitively say that she is or is not related to Hamilton Brown. Um, but making that claim that she was related to a slave owner, her family came from slaves, it's probably true both ways. I mean, that's just how it is for people all over the world. If your family stayed in one place for a long enough period of time during, you know, that period in history, of course, you're going to come from, you know, both ends of the spectrum. So them trying to either discredit Harris's father or try to say that she's now a beneficiary of slavery, which is why she can't relate to her minority, you know, voters and audiences. I think it's just kind of a ridiculous claim. Um, and it's really twisting the way that, you know, history is for all of us. Um... And beyond that, I mean, let's look at the timeline here. So slavery abolition in Jamaica started in 1808, but emancipation didn't happen until the 1830s. And then Hamilton Brown died in 1843. That was like over 175 years ago. So 
trying to connect Kamala Harris now, who was born in the United States, to this ancestor from almost 200 years ago and say that she was, you know, is a beneficiary from his actions as a black woman is just, I think it's, it's a little bit of a stretch, you know, if I'm being honest. And if we're going to get right down to the truth of it, the fact checking agencies who are looking into her ancestry and heritage haven't been able to prove it either way. So, um, I, it's just kind of another personal attack, um, coming from, in my opinion, more conservative viewpoints, trying to, trying to discredit her. Um, okay. So the second thing that I want to talk about is I would say probably the biggest contention point for people and their issues with both Biden and Harris and something that has made it difficult for um, some people I know, my peers, to definitively say if they're going to vote Biden and Harris um, or, you know, why they trust them at all. And that is Harris's position on mass incarceration and more specifically her record as a prosecutor um, in San Francisco. So this topic is huge. There's a ton of information if we, you know, go back to her early days as a DA, um, if we talk about her more recent history before she started running for the 2020 election, um, there's just a lot of moving parts around there. So I have some very specific, you know, research that I found, and that's what I'm going to kind of talk about, um, that has less to do with her past and more so on her politics now, um, which I mean, if I'm being honest, I think is important. I don't think it's right to completely ignore someone's past and to kind of just, you know, you don't get a clean slate each new year. I don't believe in that. That's not what I'm saying. However, because a lot of Harris's politics have changed specifically on criminal justice reform, I would say even in the last six years, I think it's important that we talk about those changes and try to identify where she is now, you know, as a politician and as a potential vice president of the country. Um, so starting off, I found a couple, you know, articles and statements from Harris herself. Uh, if we're talking specifically about police reform. So in 2015, um, she stated that she did not support statewide standards for body cams on cops. Um, she, I believe she did support it for a municipality in San Francisco, um, but she felt like statewide regulations weren't going to be beneficial and that the individual law enforcement agencies in each you know city district region whatever it was should have the power to make their own decisions on what type of policies they wanted to enforce since then um she was one of the senators who helped introduce the 2020 justice and policing act and to kind of briefly summarize what that's about um, it's the goal is to kind of more accurately report data to 
allow all law enforcement agencies to obtain more training on racial bias and for all officers to wear body cameras. And the reason that she has changed her stance on this and the reason that she supported the 2020 Justice and Policing Act is because she just wants to increase accountability. Um, I talked about this a little bit in the last episode when we were kind of talking about how social media can manipulate what information you have available to you and in turn manipulate your perspective on different topics. Um, So if you guys have been on any social media platform in the last couple months, you know that Black Lives Matter and uh, protests related to the killing of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, Elijah McCain, um, and even before them um, have been... I I don't want to say hot topics right now because that just sounds like it's some kind of trend and it's so much more than that. It's not a hot topic, but it is trending. It's at the forefront of everybody's, or hopefully everybody's attention right now um, because, you know, we've just had enough. Our, I don't want to say just our generation specifically. I know, you know, people my parents' age and even my grandparents' age who are feeling the same outrage and frustration uh, that we are feeling. But um, I, I would say that our, my generation at least, our tolerance level is much lower for just letting things slip under the radar, which is awesome. Like we are all about accountability in this generation. We're all about you know, holding people to a higher standard of behavior and ethics and moral behavior. Um, And so I think that legislation like this Justice and Policing Act is exactly the kind of thing that we are fighting for. We want more accountability for the people who are supposed to be keeping us safe and not killing. Um, And so it, you know, is very heartening to me to read and see that Kamala Harris, a potential, you know, world leader, is, you know, in support of something like that. Um, sorry, that's the paper I was telling you about. The next thing, Kamala Harris also publicly supports the First Step Act, which again, just to kind of briefly summarize, briefly summarize, uh, the goal with the First Step Act is ultimately to reduce recidivism. Uh, recidivism is like when people who have been incarcerated and they get out, they then return to jail for similar or even different crimes. Um, and some other really important criminal justice reforms, both outside of institutions and within. Uh, some of the ones that I found most interesting for the First Step Act is that they also prohibit restraints on pregnant inmates. Uh, which is just better quality of care for people in prison. Um, They recommend de-escalation training, which, let's be honest, why is that not a bigger priority in this country? If you, okay, if you take a couple seconds and you Google um, requirements for firearm training, de-escalation training, and racial bias training by uh, 
like statewide rules or even within different agencies, the requirements are minuscule. I mean, I'm talking like on a two, three, four, five, sometimes six year basis for some states, once every six years, they'll have to take a de-escalation training or um, a firearm refresher course or some type of training in racial profiling and bias and other personal biases, class biases. That It's like the training never happens. I mean, so much can go wrong in that period of time. And within our personal selves, I mean, I hope that they're doing thorough enough background checks on cops and other law enforcement agents before, you know, they're put out into the public. I mean, clearly we're seeing that they're not, which is incredibly disheartening. But if you have a bias within yourself, which we, everyone does, you know, it's not something that you can just claim, oh, I don't have that because you do. Training once every six years is not going to help you overcome that and become a better public servant. That's, it's not frequent enough and that's not enough accountability and that's honestly just laziness. And I, I hate when people then respond to the argument of, oh, we just, you know, they don't have enough money or, or time to do that. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, you do. You have an insane, if you can send our campus cops, okay, in UC Irvine, which was ranked one of the safest cities in the United States, okay, our campus police who had insane amounts of gear on, right? I'm talking like the whole, you know, vest, um, you know, fold boots and they had their weapons and they had these huge vehicles for our, our campus in such a safe city. If you have the funds to provide them with that, you have the funds to provide them with a two hour training seminar, you know, once every six months. I think it should be more than that, but I'm just, you know, if we need to find a middle ground, then there's your middle ground. This argument that they don't have enough money or time, like stop over policing the areas that don't have to be policed just because you're bored. You know, I would much rather you take the time to complete more extensive training that's going to make you a better officer than, you know, hound on a college student that rolls through a stop sign. You know what I mean? Like, to me, it's, we need to prioritize a little bit. If we're that concerned about time spent and money spent, then let's prioritize because I think that at the very least, the agencies that I have encountered and I've lived you know, all over the United States, they're focused on just not the right things. And it's sickening, honestly. Um, anyways, getting back to the First Step Act and some of the other things that it's, you know, goal to provide. Um, they also want to provide pilot programs for mentorships and rehab for inmates, which I think is just another great thing that we should be focusing on. I am all for rehabilitation and, you know, help and 
mental health services being provided for people that need them because there are so many people in prison who just unfortunately were a victim of their circumstance and they were in the wrong place at the wrong time and they didn't have the resources or capacity to make a better decision and now they're spending sometimes years in prison when all they really need is some guidance. So any type of legislation that's in support of that type of criminal justice reform, I am all for. Um, that's what I'm voting for, you know, all the way. And then lastly, this is a topic that I do think I want to create an entire separate podcast episode on, but providing female sanitary products, um, making them available and free for inmates. Let me just say, as a woman, a privileged white woman living in Southern California right now, I have the extreme luxury of having those types of personal hygiene project products available whenever I need them. And I can't even imagine being in a situation where you don't have the money or the means to keep yourself, you know, just feeling clean. Um, and it's something that is just such a basic necessity. The fact that it has taken this long to think, you know, you know what, just because they're in prison doesn't mean that they don't also need these hygiene products. Ugh, that's, I definitely need to do an entire episode speaking just about that because that's huge. Um, so to kind of bring that full circle, I know we were talking about Kamala Harris. I kind of went off on some little tangents there. But what I'm saying is that Kamala Harris publicly supports this legislation. So all of the things that I just talked about and got into, Kamala Harris stands behind. And that is a mentality and, you know, there's that's a moral compass. She is thinking about and supporting issues that are important and they matter. Um, so just, you know, think about that the next time you see a media blast trying to discredit her and call her a fraud. Um, the last thing that I want to talk about in regards to her position on mass incarceration. Again, I did my very best to find um, kind of the public records that specifically laid out, you know, her conviction rates and her prosecution rates. The number one thing that I could find um, was that in her, I guess, total number of cases during her time as DA in San Francisco, I believe, um, she had an 84% success conviction rate. And when she was moved into the office, she was able to I guess move along some cases that were at kind of a stalemate. So she either dismissed them, brought them to trial, um, or, you know, helped establish whatever the sentence should be. Um, so she was trying to, at least in my opinion, make the, like just overall improve the effectiveness and efficiency of the DA's office at that time. Um, what I was not able to find was a breakdown of her, like, convictions um, racially. So I wanted to see if I could find data on 
how many black versus white people she convicted and for what types of crimes they went to jail for. Um, I wasn't able to find data on that. Again, this was just kind of a, a surface research, whatever, that I just wanted to address, address um, some of the claims that I've seen. So there is more information out there to be consumed and read by me, and I'll continue to be looking for it. Um, but my goal for this episode was to talk about, you know, what is Harris doing now? Where does she stand now? And what, what are her current politics? Um, because that's what she's going to be bringing, you know, hopefully into the White House. Um, so the last thing that I want to talk about is the program Back on Track, which is something that she launched in 2005. Um, and Back on Track is, it's a, a rehab program, I would say, that ultimately... The defendants, and this is specifically for low-level drug offenses, which is something that everyone said, you know, Kamala Harris, she wants to put anybody who's in possession of marijuana behind bars. To be fair, early on, she was against the legalization of marijuana, and so her conviction rate for marijuana possession was high. Um, she has since, again, changed her mind on is you know as far as her position on marijuana she now supports uh the legalization and the sale of it um and she recognizes that beyond just medical benefits which was the biggest contention kind of early on um in her san francisco history um beyond just that she recognizes the benefits you know to the economy and um specifically to you know her audience in california so just to kind of address that but back on track is for low-level drug offenders and the defendants will plead guilty and then once they complete this program which takes anywhere from it was i think 12 to 18 months their records are expunged so they have a completely clean record and the program has actually been uh really successful so for the participants from Back on Track specifically, uh, it has reduced recidivism to less than 10%. In comparison to California as a whole, the statewide recidivism rate is 53%. Um, so there's a couple different, you know, programs, mentorships, whatever, that they have to complete while in Back on Track. Um, they have to complete over 200 hours of community service. Um, they go through different life skills, workshops, um, and then they also have access to some really excellent services that people who are in prison otherwise don't have access to, and that includes like parenting support, mental health services, and like I said, those life skills workshops, which are gonna be really instrumental in the successful reintegration of these people to society you know once once they're done and then once they finish they have no record i mean that i think is an, an incredibly beneficial and successful way to help rehabilitate people um who maybe just you know didn't make the right choice um in regards to the community service because i have already had a conversation with a couple people about this saying that 
you know, community service is free labor and that's, you know, exploiting people and that's why the prison system is unjust and all this. Number one, I think that if you break a law, you have to pay something back. And the community service that they're participating in, um, let me see if I can pull it up. It's, you know, they do like cleanups, they do, um, I, I saw some where they, what was it? They were working at like an elderly facility. They were helping um, just kind of entertain and interact and help clean. And it's that type of community service I have zero problem with. And I will also say that as um, in high school, for one of the leadership programs that I was in, I had to complete over 100 hours of community service just to graduate with honors from that program. Um, so they, you know, if it's exploitation, it's happening to students. It happens anytime you get an internship where you're either being paid less than minimum wage or you're not being paid at all, which is something I participated in in college. It was a, a requirement to graduate. I was in an unpaid internship. So I, I just don't agree with that argument that, you know, community service is this awful and terrible thing. Um, but anyways, yeah, back on track is Kamala Harris's program since, you know, 2005. So that type of attitude about rehabilitation and reintegration to, to society does not seem to me like someone that just wants to imprison everybody and you know keep them in prison for low-level offenses um, that you know aren't violent so again these are just the facts as I found them <laughs> on the internet uh, you all have access to them as well um, this is the first time I would say maybe that the podcast has gotten pretty political but I have zero shame in showing my unabashed support for Kamala Harris as our next VP candidate. And I'm really hoping that we can get Biden Harris in office. Um, I had a lot of fun talking about this particular topic. There's a lot more, like I said, the, I mean, online right now is just insane. Um, but I really hope that you guys enjoyed this. I have a couple more really interesting and fun topics planned out for the next couple weeks. And my last kind of reminder is vote, 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 whether it's mail-in, in-person, whatever. Um, there's some really great resources if you're nervous about mailing in a ballot, about it getting there on time or if you're worried about it, it's gonna be stolen or whatever. Um, there's some in-person drop-off places that you can take a mail-in ballot and you can drop it off there and you can be sure that it's you know verified and safe. Um, so please, please just make sure you vote in this election. It's super important. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week. Happy Tuesday.